Here we go on a Sunday morning in Las Vegas, the first Sunday of September. I'm Brian Feldman, and this is Out of Line. We are here every Sunday morning at 8 on Fox Sports Radio 98.9 FM at 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights, and sister station of Raiders Nation Radio. Uh, me and social media director Spencer The Wiz Ostrovsky. Nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. We're coming to you live from uh, Spencer's studio, also known as the Wisden, and Chris Magnum Chapman, who is also the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights Radio Network, is producing the show back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio. The reason for this is because for two and a half years now, the pandemic that began in March of 2020 continues to keep us out of the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio and working remotely until further notice. When further notice is, well, I'll let you know when I know. Uh, the show is also streaming on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook Live and YouTube. The page is called Out of Line. That's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N-E. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Out of Line Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. On Tap, brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Residential Bank Corp is the company to turn to for all of your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time. And don't forget to ask about the new incredible discounted payment options on move-in ready Wedgwood homes available right now. All over Las Vegas, call 702-964-5720 for details and to get information on all the home financing options available in Nevada on tap. Only weeks away from the start of their preseason schedule. And now with another new face added last week, the question remains, who will be between the pipes for the start of the Vegas Golden Knights 2022-23 season? Uh, we'll talk about that real, real shortly. Uh, the Aces are getting ready for game three of the WNBA semifinals in Seattle series, knotted at one game apiece. We'll talk about that. And um, the Raiders have their 53-man roster set and are one week away from the start of the regular season. We got you covered, and I think we have all, I think we have a special guest, if I'm not mistaken, Willie Galt, former Great wide receiver, the Chicago Bears, and at the time, the Los Angeles Raiders, former Super Bowl champion, rookie of the year, All-American Willie Galt, joining the show to talk about NFL grudge matches. If you haven't heard about them, stick around. And next week, we're going to actually give you the opportunity to win a chance to play with a bunch of former you NFL know, players. You know, Brian, issues. Hear, hearing yeah. Willie Galt coming on the show, it makes me wish that our friend Ballpark Frank was still here because he was a massive, massive Chicago Bears fan. But a lot of people may not remember Willie Galt was also a U.S. Olympian track athlete. And Frank Carnish told the story one time about when he was playing Willie Galt in a softball game. He basically gave him a lollipop to smash over the outfield wall. And Frank kind of winked at him like, yeah, that's for helping the Bears win this Super Bowl. So I wonder if <laughs> Willie will remember playing in a charity softball game and a guy who looks like meatloaf serving him up a lollipop to smash over the outfield wall. 
<laughs> might have to bring that up to him. It's pretty cool. But yeah, Willie's going to be joining in a little bit, about a half hour or so, talking about the NFL grudge matches. I've never met Willie. Matter of fact, my first time interviewing him. I'm excited, but uh, was happy that he went to the Raiders because I was not a big fan of Willie's or any of the people on the Chicago Bears. Respect for him, but couldn't stand to being a Detroit fan. But looking forward to having Willie on the show. And, um, you know, and again, uh, we are also going to be talking about uh, Aaron Judge trying to make history and asterisks. Uh, I think you know what I'm talking about if you're a baseball fan. Stick around. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And also, uh, uh, UNLV football, they, start, uh, they started their season last week, have the week off this week, but they will be back on the field in Cal next uh, Saturday. We'll talk about that as well. And of course the aviators report and we'll do a little bit of fantasy football talk before the end of the show. That's what's on tap. If you are looking to buy a home order, refinance the home you currently own, choose a company you can trust residential bank corp funding America, one neighborhood at a time call 702-964-5720 for details on all your home financing options. And to ask about the great Wedgwood home opportunity right now. Hey, Spencer, let's get right into it, man. What uh, nightcap. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Uh, last week, it's funny, Chris, we talked about, uh, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights not having made any moves to get another goaltender. It looked like starting the season, um, you know, with Logan Thompson, which nobody was upset about him. I mean, he played great in 20 games last year towards the end of the season, kept the Golden Knights in it right up until the end, even with all the man hours they lost due to injury last year. And of course, Michael Hutchinson, a longtime journeyman, been around for a long time, hasn't played a ton of NFL games, not a guy that you really want to look to as your starting goaltender. Of course, Laurent Brossois out the majority of last season, expected back in the early part of this season, but uh, no one really feels that Laurent Brossois is a number one goaltender in the National Hockey League. I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say that. The jury's out on Logan Thompson being the fact that he's finally got his opportunity last year. Great story behind the kid, but is he a full-time, at least 55 game starter? I think all of us question that. So last week we brought up a couple of goaltenders and one of them we brought up, Chris, a guy he didn't speak very favorably of. Hey, I'm just being honest. Um, Aiden Hill, not that you, you said anything bad about him or anything, but you just, you know, Aiden Hill was probably one of the least favorite choices of guys out there that we were discussing to put potentially bring in. However, he is now a golden knight. He will be competing uh, for time between the pipes. And I don't think it's a terrible move. I think there's competition right now. You got four goaltenders all trying to get the slot. I think when the season starts, Logan Thompson's between the pipes in game one, just based on what he did last year. And I think they want to see right away what he can do coming out of the gates. But again, that's just my opinion, Chris. Yeah, I, I I think you know they they maybe look at a guy like Aiden Hill as someone who can push Logan Thompson. You know, the other thing is it it, it makes me think that uh, and and I unfortunately did not have the opportunity to attend the uh, media uh, availability with with uh, Aiden Hill, but uh, you know, unfortunately, you when you find out about things two hours before they're actually scheduled, sometimes it's difficult to rearrange your schedule to get there. So. Uh, just a mental note on that one, but yeah, so, so I wasn't able to attend the media session with Aiden Hill, but, um, 
You know, I, I, I think my takeaway from this is maybe Loren Brossois is not as healthy as we, we were anticipating heading into training camp. Uh, so they needed a clear-cut guy who could push um, Logan, Logan Thompson. I still think Logan Thompson is the guy. It's his team. And, and until he proves that it's not his team, which I hope doesn't happen, I, I, I think Logan Thompson will be the number one goalie for the entirety of the season here in Vegas, barring something unfortunate. Uh, so... Um, look, Aiden Hill is a guy, he, he's been around a, l- a little bit, but what I will say about Aiden Hill is he knows the division. He's He played for the Arizona Coyotes when they were a member of the Pacific Division. Of course, now they're in the Central, but he also played for the team in San Jose. So he, he certainly is a guy who knows the Pacific Division. It gives Bruce Cassidy an option in games where he, he's going to need uh, Logan Thompson to, to take a breather, but I, I was a bit surprised, Brian, because I looked up Aiden Hill's stats, and they were actually a lot better than what I thought, especially considering Aiden Hill's never played for a good team. So I, I, I think maybe I was a bit harsh on him last week because, like I said, when I look at the numbers, he, he's better than what I than what I thought. And like I said, he, he he's played for some really, really crap teams in his career. So maybe an opportunity to come to a, a, a winning franchise, a franchise that unfortunately missed the playoffs last year, but in their brief history have proven that they are a quality winning franchise. So, you know, that, that being said, I think Aiden Hill's going to have an opportunity to maybe win the job. I mean, I, I think that's the way that they're going to approach it. And I, I think they are open to whoever is the best goalie in camp being the guy who will skate out their opening night in Los Angeles. I think that's who they play on opening night uh, in, in LA, but Nonetheless, I, I I forget the schedule sometimes, but uh, I I think Aiden Hill's going to have a real maybe for the first time in his career a real a realistic opportunity to come in and, and win a starting job in the NHL. He's he's not old; he's still a relatively young guy. In fact, he mentioned that him and Logan Thompson went to the same junior high school, so that's kind of cool. Uh, so, look, it, it's a fresh opportunity for him, and I hope he he seizes the opportunity and takes advantage of it, Brian, because this is a guy who. You mentioned last week, and, and I got to give you your, your props on that. Uh, I wasn't too keen on it, but I mean, hey, you 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 nailed it. So uh, good on you. And look, let's let's hope that training camp, which is only a couple of weeks, believe it or not, it's only a couple like two weeks from today, we'll be talking about training camp. It's insane. But uh, look, like I said, I think Aiden Hill is going to have a real shot to to win the the, the starting goalie job. I, I don't think the Golden Knights brought him in primarily to be a backup. I think they brought him in to push Logan Thompson. And, and I think it's good because I, I, I think you now have three goalies, assuming the health of Laurent Brossois is there. Look, if, if if all three of these guys are healthy and all three of them have good camps, all of a sudden you have the opportunity to maybe move Laurent Brossois and, and have, a, have, have some extra cap space. Uh, we'll, no, we'll, see, we'll, we'll see what happens. No, I agree with you, Chris, and, and, and I think that's what the Golden Knights were looking for. I think they do want to create competition between the pipes. They do want all these guy, guys push, and they want them to feel pressure because to win in the NHL and especially in the Stanley Cup playoffs, you've got to be able to perform under pressure. Aiden Hill, like you said, Chris, I don't think he's gotten a real fair shake. He, I think it was one game under 500. I think 25 games last year, the most he's played in an NHL season. So finally getting some decent amount of quality time, and he was only like one game under 500 I think so to play in a team that was really bad last year in the San Jose Sharks and to be one game over 500 and not be the everyday starter I don't think that's too bad of um, a showing and I do think he'll 
push Logan Thompson and Laurent Brossois um, for that starting job. And, and we will see. And again, I do think Laurent Brossois is the guy they move if everything works out the way they hope, hope it does in camp. I think he's the odd man out. And I still think when, when again, Chris, Logan Thompson will get the start. And yeah, you're, we're, we're right down the street, tw- September 25th, first preseason game against the Colorado Avalanche. So um, that right there, will uh will will be a telltale sign and we'll see what happens with that but um uh, other than that we talked last week about Phil Kessel uh getting um then you know getting the contract the one year 1.5 million dollar contract I'm interested in what Phil's going to bring to the table steady guy doesn't get hurt a lot and I think he brings a more um veteran leadership to the Vegas Golden Knights I think it was a good move and again he came cheap as we know and uh, again the season starts September 25th the preseason schedule a lot more things will be figured out in the next two weeks, but I'll bet that goaltender competition goes right up through the start of the season and probably through the first month to see who is going to establish themselves as the main guy between the pipes. I mean, you could end up having goalie by committee, but that's never a good thing, and I can't think of a team that went deep in the Stanley Cup playoffs ever that had a full-time uh, goalie by committee situation. I remember the wings years ago. Uh, we're talking back. I don't even want to mention how many years ago, but they had they had two uh, Rutherford and Lowe. They had two goalies that literally switched every other game. They made the playoffs uh, with those two guys, but uh, they didn't get out of the first round. I mean, it's just you want an established goaltender that's your starter with a guy behind him that's a very capable that can come in every four or five games and spell him. And that that's really what you look for for an ideal situation in the National Hockey. We're going to see what comes up. I'm looking forward to it. I think Aiden Hill was a good move. I brought it up last week. He's a guy that was out there that was available because the Sharks had three goalies under contract. He was the odd man out, and um, I think he fits. Uh, let's move on, guys. Spencer, you had a chance last week. I didn't. I was attending uh, Tim Unglesby, Unglesby's Fantasy Draft, Heat Wave Sports. Of course, Tim on Tim and Tommy Barton on every Saturday and Sunday night on Fox Sports Radio. But uh, we had our Fantasy Draft on Wednesday night, and I missed game two of the aces uh, uh playoff run and uh, it was a huge game spencer they lost game one a week ago sunday by three points to seattle seattle a very good team brianna stewart arguably if not the best player in the wnba top three for sure a very good chance and i personally think she's going to end up getting league mvp this year because they gave asia wilson defensive player of the year so i don't think they're going to give her both awards i have a feeling brianna stewart's going to get mvp of the, the season but asia wilson and kelsey plum were in that conversation right up to the end of the year and uh, the aces a bunch of postseason awards this year uh, Becky Hammond of course well deserving a coach of the year Asia Wilson as I just mentioned defensive player of the year and Jackie Young really came into her own towards the end of last season the Olympics did nothing but help her in the three-on-three competition where she played with teammate Kelsey Plum they won a gold medal and man this year Jackie Young has been a dominant backcourt presence in the WNBA everybody's talking about her no surprise whatsoever that she got most improved player in the league this year and um, you know like I said Kelsey Plum no postseason awards but there's like one or two of them you could have given her. And again, if she did get the MVP award, I think everyone would be a little bit surprised, but it wouldn't be a complete shocker. No, no. And, and uh, the game was, was amazing. It was a really good game. And uh, there are a few notes. I'll start with uh, Becky Hammond's opening statements following. So I will go ahead and uh, show off Becky Hammond, see what she said right when she got to the press conference. I just thought, you know, we dug in and did what we had to do. Uh, this was 
pretty much a must win for us. Um, I thought we still came out a little tight, um, but we eventually got to where we needed to be. And so uh, obviously a couple of individual great performances uh, by the two best players in the league. Um, but I thought that stretch uh, that we went small, put Chelsea Gray on the post and her activity um, really changed the momentum of the game. And so, uh, you know, it's one of the things we want to be. <clears throat> Defensively is just active and disruptive, active and disruptive, physical. Yeah, and uh, I'll, I'll jump it over to you in a second. But there's a couple of things that I wanted to say quickly from the game. And, uh, you know, at the end of the first quarter, it really didn't look that good. There were some struggles. Kelsey Plum had a bad turnover. There were a couple of missed turnovers. I tried to ask Asia and Chelsea after the game, but, you know, there's so much that goes on inside of a basketball game. I really wanted to ask Becky, but I, get, I didn't get the opportunity. But she did mention it in those comments. And the thing that was different, this is the biggest difference of the game. I think it was the biggest difference, and no one really talked about it, is you and I have been personal, like, we have personally seen what has happened inside the Aces building. Last year, Diana Taurasi buried them. And it looked like in this game, it was going to be in the same situation with Sue Bird. Dropped over 30 points. The difference in this game, and I think that between everything that has happened in Asia Wilson's career, is that she stepped up too. It's not to say that she's had bad playoff games. She's performed fine. But in this one, they went blow for blow. That has been the biggest thing missing from her career so far. And of course, she's young, right? I think we're only in like, what, year four or five for it. For Asia Wilson, so it's not to say like, oh, I can't believe she hasn't stepped up to Diana Taurasi and Sue Burgess quite yet, but we know that Asia is primed for like an all-time great career in the WNBA, and I think this that last game was one of her defining moments. I don't remember the stat, and you know I hate stats these days because I feel like it just takes the meaning out of everything, but the thing is is that both of them had 30 points. That was the first time that has happened in a long time in the WNBA, and it was really great. And Kelsey Plum had struggled mightily, I would say, through the first three quarters. Got to the free throw line every once in a while, but struggled shooting. She stepped up huge in the, in the fourth <laughs> quarter, and they just had that drive. I don't know what it was that changed from the first quarter going into the second and onwards, but I think the, the simple answer is that Asia Wilson just dominated, and the other team, everyone else followed suit. Chelsea Gray obviously was right next to her. They talked about after the game how dangerous their pick and roll is, and it really is. So we'll see what happens. I mean, this has been the mark of this franchise so far. They've been taken out by the all-time greats of the WNBA, the Diana Taurasi's, um, from the Storm, I can't think of her name right now, and uh, Sue Bird last time. But maybe this is finally going to be the time where they get over the hump. I think if they beat Seattle, there's no way they lose in the final. I think they'll just have way too much confidence. Yeah, it was probably Bri Brianna Stewart, who you couldn't think of her name. But but she is, uh, you know, a dominating player. You know, she drops 32 on the Aces in the loss. And uh, Asia Wilson outdoes her with 33. But really, it was the all-around play, you know, the three mainstays. Uh, you know, for the as far as getting offensive production, include you can include Jackie Young in there, but really it's Asia Wilson, Kelsey Plum, and Chelsea Gray. And Chelsea Gray, Spencer, I mean, you know, she may not have been talked about heavily during the regular season. Everyone knows she's a, a solid quality player, but right now the way she is playing, she quietly, I don't know that you could say, well, she's going to be MVP of the playoffs or anything like that, but her presence without question has been dominating in the postseason. When she gets on the floor, it is like everything changes. The intensity rises and she just has really been a clutch performer for the aces. And really part of the reason that they, 
uh, when beating Chicago in that monster game at the end of the regular season, really, which propelled them to the number one overall seed, was Chelsea Gray coming in and playing great. She did it again in uh, in the game on Wednesday night. You know, I ended up I didn't see the game live, but I ended up recording it and watching it. And you know, she just she is so clutch and her outside shooting ability has just keeps getting better and better to the point where you have got to get on her on the perimeter because she'll beat you and she even beats you with people in her face Spencer she pulls up and really is able to score from anywhere on the floor and as big as Asia Wilson and Kelsey Plum is for this team and Jackie Young I don't know this team goes anywhere without Chelsea Gray no no without a doubt and she loves it when defenders go under on that screen with Asia Wilson she just loves that step back and hits the three she she really does change things and the, the biggest change that she made obviously offensively she was great but they talked about it a lot in the postgame, and if you watched the game, you would know. The small ball lineup is really what you know propelled them forward. That was the biggest difference of the game. They were able to take advantage. like They weren't able to take advantage of the post because Chelsea Gray was down there. And obviously on the other end, when you have mismatches like that, they're just going to be so much faster and dynamic. I'm sure Seattle will have something to combat that later on. But the one thing that I've respected about back, Becky all year is that she doesn't. she will have players play most of the game. Her bench is maybe one deep. You know, In the NBA playoffs, it's like that too. I hated the thing that drove me so crazy about Bill Ambeer is that he always wanted to go three deep, even in the playoffs. You don't need to do that. The games are shorter. They can play NBA starter minutes, and that's what Becky does. She maybe goes one or two deep on the bench, maybe for like a few minutes stretch to get someone some air, and that's it. And I think that's great, and I think that's been a really big reason for their success this year. No, there's no question about it. You know, uh, players like Raquana Williams, who does come off the bench, she got 26 minutes, and you look at her two points and you say, what did she do? Well, first of all, for a little a little player, she had eight rebounds, second yeah, on great. the team in rebounds, because she can clean the glass. But the main thing Raquana does is she is a great defensive player. And she can defend women that are four or five inches taller than her because she is that quick on the inside, great hands and great court vision. She is an integral part of the defensive structure of this team. And again, the defensive ability of this team's from Kia Stokes, Jackie Young, Asia Wilson, Kelsey Plum, and Chelsea Gray. You almost don't need anyone to come in. And of course, Rupert comes in off the bench as well, gives them some size and some presence underneath the underneath the basket. But the five starters. Uh, they're all in tremendous shape. They all run the floor great. And you just, you don't need really a lot of changes. Again, other than Williams, I like her coming in because she keeps the defensive intensity and you got to rest everyone a little bit. But I mean, all the, the all all five starters, I should say four of the five starters had over 35 minutes. And uh, that tells you, uh, Becky Hammond, uh, you know, as you said, Spencer, she doesn't make a lot of changes in there. The other game going on, and matter of fact, it, it starts one hour after the show, is game three of the Chicago Sky and uh, the Connecticut um, Sun series, which is also knotted at one game apiece. Um, I just think, and I've said it from the beginning of the playoffs since probably the last three weeks of the season, I think Chicago and uh, Las Vegas are on a collision course, Spencer. I think it's going to be an amazing series that, my opinion, will go five games. It could go either way. I give the nod to the Aces if they get there simply because they do have home court advantage. And, man, I don't know that home court advantage plays dividends anywhere more than it does at Michelob Altarine at the Mandalay Event Center. That place just gets crazy. It might only fit 8,000 people oh, in there, but it feels like 30,000 people when that place gets lit up. No, I, I, I'm so glad you said that, Brian, because I, I wanted to bring this up. There's two points I want to make. First, I'll talk about the crowd. And we talked about this like ever since the Aces came here. Everyone's like, can the 
can the WNBA survive? Is it profitable? And the thing is, is that the, the most frustrating part of the conversation is always like, oh, it'll never be as big as the NBA. But that who cares about if it's ever going to be as big as the NBA? It's like saying, oh, well, Domino's is the number one pizza chain in the country, so we can't have other pizza chains. There can't be Marco's Pizza. It's like, no, the WNBA can succeed. And when I look at the crowd, it's packed. I'm not, I, I didn't have the video because I didn't want to play it because for the radio people. But the thing is, like, the crowd is packed. So that means that there is some sort of success. Now, I don't know if they're getting, they're not getting that every single regular season game, and maybe they'll get there. But the point is, is that there are people in the city who love the product more than anything. And it's great product. It's a really entertaining game. And I've talked about this. The girls get better every single year. The league hasn't been around that long. So there has been multiple generations of women who who believe that there was an actual career in playing basketball. The one thing I'll say quickly to, to wrap up my thoughts on the WNBA, there's one player that does have to step up for the Aces if they are going to make it to the finals. And that is Jackie Young. Make no mistake, she's probably going to be the most improved player of the year. She already was. She already, oh, she already she, was. She okay. is. Okay, I see. So she, and deservedly so. She has been timid, and she has been. There's just something off about her game. Becky talked about that too, and she's saying, "I don't know what's going on. She's just not. There's just some nerves going on with Jackie. I don't know what it is. Hopefully, she puts it together. They will lose this series if she doesn't step up a little bit. I just have that feeling that she is the seems to be the missing link of the team from them being successful or not because she's had some pretty bad shooting games, and all the games have been you know one score games. No, I agree with you. I mean, without Derek, the availability of Derek Ahamby, who looks like she is going to be out for the remainder of the postseason, uh, Jackie Young, all five players, six, seven players that are going to see the floor are tremendously important. But you are right. Jackie Young, part of the best backcourt, in my opinion, in the WNBA this season, and she has to play with it. She can't leave Kelsey Plum and Chelsea Gray out to dry. She has got to get in the mix of scoring. Six, six points and five assists is not going to do it for your starting point guard, not going to work. Uh, real quickly, uh, mo- you know, I, w- what I did want to say about them also is, uh, you know, with the other series, Spencer, talking about that at one game apiece, uh, going to be very, very interesting today, starting at 10 o'clock to see that series. Because, again, just like the Aces series, it goes to the road, where if the road team, if Connecticut can win two at home, they don't go back to Chicago. Aces in the same situation. That, to me, is the biggest and most scary situation, is you got to go to Seattle and win at least one game to bring it back here for game five. And, uh, against Chicago in the same position uh, there. But the biggest issue, Spencer, and I'll leave this alone in my final thoughts on the WNBA. Again, I agree with you. It's an exciting product. Vegas really makes it exciting because just like they do with everything, they turn a sporting event into a Las Vegas show. At halftime, you get great performances and you get just great electricity and energy in the air. However, it is not a w- an NBA game. And as you said, Spencer, don't expect it to be. Well, my point is, the women in the league have to stop expecting to get paid like NBA players. Number one, there is 50 less regular season games. Take that into account. Um, It's huge. And also the revenue is being generated, but the league has lost money almost every year. And they lost their greatest ambassador uh, in Kobe Bryant. As we all know, it, it, it is a good product. I just think it has to stay in perspective, especially when it comes to the financial end of it. And everyone has to be realistic about the expectations. Yes, as it gets more interest, maybe they increase the schedule more. Um, the girls will get paid more. But up until that point in time, do not compare your salaries with that of the NBA or any other of the major four men's professional sports simply because it's all about revenue generated. And the WNBA is starting to generate more revenue. The interest is growing. I'll bet the league will expand in time. However, the bottom line is, is that 
they cannot get paid like the men get paid until they play as many games and as until the revenue generated by sponsorships is anywhere close to what it is of the men's game. And I, I and that's just simple. And again, that's simple math and that's, that's simple facts. Uh, listen, real quickly, we're going to move on, Spencer. Um, let's get going. I, I don't know. Is Willie on the line with us yet or no? No, he's not. Okay. Well, Willie Galt's going to join the show in a little bit. Uh, but right now, really, before we before we even do that, Spencer, I really want to talk a little bit about the Raiders. They cut down their 53-man, to the 53-man roster on Tuesday. Um, not really any gigantic surprise. I think there's a few people that I talked to, even though we heard the rumors about Alex Leatherwood getting traded, Spencer, I think people were still in denial saying, well, God, the guy was the 17th pick in the draft just one year ago. How are they going to give up on him so quick? Well, they're giving up on him quickly because he's been a lemon. He's been a bust, Spencer. This guy, for as big as he is, he was supposed to eventually fill the role of the blind side of Derek Carr. My God, if he's protecting the blind side of Derek Carr, Derek Carr will be blind before the end of the season. I hope that Alec Leatherwood will succeed. Where did he go to Atlanta? I think he went to Chicago. Chicago, that's where he went to the Bears, correct? I hope he has a, a career there. But it was time. On the show, isn't it? What's that? <laughs> it's ironic that Willie's coming on the show. It is the ironic, but, but, but uh, you know, I, I, um, he was a bust. There's just no way around it. Yeah. People didn't love the pick when they made it last year, but you figured, you know what? Look what the guy accomplished in his career, Spencer. I mean, you know, you're talking about a guy that was a two-time national champion with Alabama, won the Outland and Jacobs blocking trophies in 2020. Why did he turn out to be so bad? Well, the, the thing is, is that there was never a real issue with like the way that they had drafted him. It was just that he was a second-round offensive tackle taken in the first round. That was pretty much the biggest issue with him. Same thing with Jonathan Abrams. It wasn't that he was a horrible safety to take in the draft. It was the problem was that he was a second round safety. And there was a whole history of the Raiders overdrafting with Cleveland Farrell. He'll be off the team pretty soon as well. So we all know that that was just a disaster. Now, why he came to the NFL and he really couldn't make the team, I don't know. But here's the thing. Here, here's my theory. My theory is that I'm sure Alex Leatherwood was good enough to make the team. There's no doubt in my mind. There really isn't that much around him. He could. He was talented enough to make the, the, the roster. This is. They made a statement. This is a new regime. We have to remember, okay? So everyone, all the options for our rookies were taken off, including Jonathan Abrams, Josh Jacobs, the whole nine yards, right? No one picked up on their options. And uh, Alex Leatherwood was the same way. But they say, if you're not going to come here and work really hard, if you're not going to perform, we're going to give some guy – you know, who doesn't have the experience, who's tried really hard in training camp and performed in the preseason the job over you. And they don't care if they're going to take that cap. That's the whole thing. I think I really like the president that they're making here. That's saying that's no one's safe. You got to compete hard every single day for your job. Doesn't matter if you were the first round pick last year, your job could be in jeopardy. So this is probably the best move. This is my favorite move the Raiders have made the entire offseason for me. Well, other than Devontae Adams, it is kind of hard to trump that to say the release of an offensive tackle is better than Devontae Adams. But this is amongst my favorite moves the Raiders have made since the new regime came in. I like it, Spencer, as well. I like the whole thing. The thing that surprises me the most about the Raiders this year is the fact that they're plus 4,000. as far as winning a championship goes behind all three of the other teams in the AFC West. 
I understand why they're behind Kansas City. I understand why they're behind uh, the Los Angeles Chargers after last year. I don't understand why they're behind Denver. I get it. Denver just got Russell Wilson, a tremendous get for the Broncos. I think Russell Wilson's going to have a great year. I just think the Raiders are a more talented team than the Denver Broncos right now. So, anyways, let's cut. We'll talk more about the Raiders in a little bit. I want to get right to this right now. On the Residential Bank Corp Fox Sports Studio line, we have former Chicago Bear, former Los Angeles Raider Willie Galt on the show. Uh, Willie, former Super Bowl champion, and getting ready in two weeks from now for this season's first NFL grudge match. Willie, welcome to the show, man. Good morning. How are you guys? Uh, doing great. And uh, just uh, first of all, how are, how are you doing, man? I mean, excited to come out here in Vegas and participate in these grudge matches? I'm doing great. I mean, Vegas is like my second home. Of course, I live in Los Angeles, so it's just a quick uh, 50 minute flight or a two-and-a-half-hour drive, so it's great. I, I love Vegas, and I'm excited about the grudge matches. We we had a couple last year. turned out really great, and uh, it's exciting to see the guys. You know, it's the camaraderie that you miss about the game. You know, I played the game for 12 years, and I garnered a lot of relationships, and this is a, an opportunity to, to see those guys and see guys that you played against that you didn't get a chance to really spend much time with, but now you get a chance to spend time with them in, in this grudge match, which is great. It's going to be a lot of fun. I got to participate in the first one a year and a half ago and really enjoyed myself. Um, Magali Fernandez just does a great job putting these on. Former NFL alumni uh, uh, spouse, and she does just a tremendous job with this. This one is going to be uh, benefiting the Nevada Wheelchair Foundation, looking very, very well for, uh, looking very forward to it. Again, it is going to be two weeks from yesterday, the 17th of um, uh, September, uh, really looking forward to this. They're going to have the pairings uh, match on Friday. They'll set up the pairings, a little dinner. Saturday is the grudge match, and of course, Sunday will be the NFL, uh, the, the Raiders' first home season game of the year against the Cardinals. What do you expect out here, Willie? But we'll talk a little football in a minute, but with this grudge match, um, you've been out and participating in, in this. What should people expect that get involved? Well, Max does a great job. She's amazing uh, to put this together, to think about it, and to, to make it a reality. You know, basically what it is is that people get a chance to see people they, they saw play on TV. You know, uh, we'll have Jay Schrader, I think, will be at the first one, a couple of the guys. Uh, it'll be the, the, the Raiders versus the Cardinals. Uh, some of the Cardinals players will be out. It'll be great, and they'll get a chance to play a little golf, have fun, uh, have dinner afterwards. Uh, we have, there's a little, I guess, cocktail party dinner before uh, that people can get a chance to mingle with some of the players and uh, just have fun and, and just realize that we're regular people. I mean, we, we did some extraordinary things on the field, but we're regular people, and, and most of us are really nice. Hey, so we, yeah, I okay. think I think we dropped the guy. So uh, until they get back, I don't, I don't want to let you go. So, so I'll, oh, we got Brian back. All right, cool. Okay, great. Brian, did you lose me? Yeah, he he he's on video, but for whatever reason, he he's not there. Uh, sound wise, so um, I I, I okay, think Matt, we got him we back. Be, yeah, are we there back? You go. Okay. So having a few technical difficulties once in a while that happens with uh, when when you're doing That's stuff okay. over the internet and over the radio at the same time. Are we still hearing me, Chris? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're good, Brian. Okay, okay, good deal. And once again, we are joined by Willie Galt, former Chicago Bear, Super Bowl champion with the Chicago Bears and with the Los Angeles Raiders. Willie, a big part of the NFL grudge matches that go on. A lot of guys out there, just to mention a few, James Harris will be there. Jeff Barnes, Jay Schrader comes on the show a lot. Napoleon McCallum, another Vegas resident. Of course, Willie Galt and Ron Brown, former Raiders and a lot of former Cardinals as well. Uh, Rick Cunningham, Jeremy Bridges, Robert Tate. Michael uh, Bankston, Frank Sanders, and Anthony Bell all out there, and a lot of fighters as well, a lot of celebrities. It is a great time. Uh, make sure you sign up, and Spencer is going to be putting up constantly uh, how you can go ahead and register for these grudge matches. Again, there's going to be four of them throughout the year. We'll be talking them, uh, about them regularly, and again, it's www.celebritygrudgematch.com. Uh, definitely check that out. Again, put on um, by Magali Fernandez. Just does a great job. Willie, real quickly about the Raiders coming to Vegas. Did you ever think, I mean, I know that I didn't, and I've been a football fan. I think we're, you, you might have me by a couple of years. We're close in age. Uh, tell me something. Did you ever think there'd be a football team in Las Vegas? You know, early on, I didn't because of their stance on gambling and sports. You know, it was such a hard stand, hard line. But then as the years went on, I thought, hey, they may be a reality. And then, of course, when the hockey team came, I go, okay, this football would be next, and then baseball. So uh, it, it makes sense. I mean, Vegas is the capital of the world as far as, uh, you know, entertainment and, and sports and gambling. So it makes sense for, for a team to be there. And the Raiders uh, is probably the ideal team to be there uh, because of their history and because Al Davis loved the city. He used to be there a lot. And, uh, you know, his son Mark is just continuing that tradition. Yeah, he really has. And I don't know, I, I, I'm sure you were there last week uh, when they had the yeah. NFL alumni at Allegiant. What yeah. do you think of this stadium in Las Vegas? Have you seen anything like this, Willie, where they actually have a natural turf field that they wheel in and out for the Raiders games? Unbelievable. Yes, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. I was there, and it was actually, I guess, someone was represented from every year that the Raiders have been in existence, from 1960 all the way into last year at that reunion, which is probably unheard of. Uh, I don't think it's ever been repeated in the National Football League. I think that was really amazing to to be around people like Jim Otto and Marcus Allen, Tim Brown, and you know, all the great guys that were there, James Lawton. It was just great to be able to see guys again that I played with, I played before. I, I honored Fred Blitnikoff was there, you know, that I looked up to. It was amazing. So it was a great thing, and, and the stadium is just great, and, and Vegas has opened their arms up widely, did a great job with the stadium. It's a beautiful facility, and uh, it's second to none. It really is. I've seen a concert there now, a number of uh, college football games, including the Raiders games. It is really state-of-the-art, and if you get a chance, ever, anyone out there to see a game at Legion Stadium, check it out again. We're talking to Willie Galt, a former NFL wide receiver, former uh, Olympic sprinter, uh, Willie, one of the fastest men in the world for a while. And, Willie, like I said, it's an honor to have you on. have never had a chance to talk to you before, but um, I was happy when you left the Bears and went to the Raiders because I was born and raised raised in Detroit and spent five of my years working for the Detroit <laughs> Lions radio network. So I uh, was not a big fan of yours when I was there. That was because Willie, along with Walter Payton and several other bears were lion killers. Um, yeah. A lot all of good. In life. But uh, tell me something, Willie, I wanted to ask you 
Um, something I've asked other Raider players that I've talked to before, Jim McMahon and others, about the opportunity and the chance a great player like you getting to play with one of the greatest of all time in sweetness, Walter Payton, who obviously uh, was taken from us way too early. But uh, what was it like? Because what I've heard about Walter Payton over and over again from everyone I've ever talked about it was his work ethic. And yes, he was the greatest of all time, but everyone says when you talked about him being the greatest, he worked for it, man. He worked for it. He definitely worked. I mean, he, he never really uh, came out of games. He, he played hurt. He, he worked hard in the off season. He was always in shape and just a fun guy, fun, loving guy. Most of the time. I mean, he's always a practical joker. He's always doing something, whether it be, putting a firecracker in someone's uh, pocket or, you know, pulling on someone's pants at practice or, you know, uh, or pushing someone in the shower or whatever. I mean, he was just always a fun guy and a, a friend and someone who we looked up to. He, he carried our team for a long time, and, you know, he was just the leader of our team that whole year, the Super Bowl year and, the, and before. You know, Willie, people say defense wins championships. Obviously, it's been the, it's been a moniker throughout sports history. And last year, he had a really good defensive team in the Rams. People talk about Aaron Donald right now, not only being maybe the best defensive player in the game, but maybe being the best player in the game uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And amazing when you say the best player in the game is a defensive end. But, hey, there have been some great ones. I don't know that there has ever been a better defense than the team that you played. And, of course, you were on the offense end but buddy ryan's defense with that bears team i've never seen anything like it they were a juggernaut and you could actually see the fear in offensive teams offensive players when they had to go up against this defense how good did that defense make your offense well i mean arguably they were the greatest defense ever assembled for that one year um and many people don't know as an offense we were ranked number two in the in the league that year so we weren't too shabby our defense was just so dominant that people thought to concentrate on them more, which is rightly so. I mean, I marvel at them when I sit on the sideline watching them destroy other teams and offense. So they were good. I mean, you had a guy like Wilbur Marshall who was just tremendous and crazy and, and so good, and then Otis Wilson and, and Mike Singletary, all the linebackers that just dominated. And then you had in the, in the interior, you had William Perry who was just so big and so strong. You had Dan Hampton, who was an all-pro, and you had Steve McMichael. And then you had the defensive back. You had Dave Dorsey. You had Todd Bell, who first started. You had Gary Fensick at safety. And then you had two great corners in Mike Richardson and uh, Leslie Frazier, who could hold it down. And so they, they put so much pressure on teams that they only had, like, two seconds to throw the ball. And, you know, within that two seconds, you know, it's hard to get open. And so we, it made for a, a great team defense. And, of course, you had the orchestrator who was Buddy Ryan, who was just a mastermind at, at defense. And they studied. I mean, those guys studied. They knew tendencies. They knew what guys were going to do. They really studied the game, and they were, they were stewards of the game. Yeah, it, it, every one of them. It's it just incredible. You had so many leaders on the defense. But my point was – to, to play against them in practice every single day. Cause I knew you guys were one of the best offenses in the league. I didn't know you were ranked second that year, but I knew you were in the top five or six. Um, but, but my point is, you know, to get to play them every day in practice, it has to make you better. Yeah, of course we challenge each other that we challenge them and they challenged us. And, you know, the guy, the defensive backs weren't worried about any receiver because I was one of the fastest receivers in the world in the, in the league. So they knew, they could cover me. They could cover them. So we practice every day. We practice after practice. We run routes. I, you know, we run together. 
So we prepare. For, we got each other prepared. And when I stepped on the field against any other defense, I wasn't worried because I practiced against the best. And that makes uh, for great competition and makes the, your teammate better, which is all uh, necessary in the game. No question about it. I think a lot of teams have taken a lot from that team. Uh, the, one of the most dominating performances I had seen to that point in the in the Super Bowl, especially on the defensive end of the bo- this ball. But again, very skilled team. Uh, again, joined by Willie Galt here, uh, talking about NFL grudge match, rehashing us uh, some great old football history. Again, the grudge match that we are talking about, and we'll wrap things up here, is um, going to be, it is September the 17th. They'll have the pairings party on September the 16th, Friday night. And then the, the golf outing, of course, will take place Saturday morning, the 17th, uh, followed by the Raiders, culminating with the Raiders playing their first home game of the season against the Arizona Cardinals after that. The other grudge matches, the second one will be against the Broncos. That is October the, the 1st. Then we have the Chargers, and that will be um, December the 3rd. And the final one, a big game, could be a huge game for both teams, and that will be against the Kansas City Chiefs, and that will be January the 7th. But again, this first one coming up two weeks from yesterday, um, the charity it will be benefiting will be the Nevada Wheelchair Foundation. Again, Willie Galt will be one of the several former NFL players that are really, really look forward to seeing you out there um, on the, uh, two weeks from Saturday and at future Raider games. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Again, Mac does an amazing job. Uh, this good match, is, it was really amazing last year. We had a good time uh, playing against the guys you play against, played against and getting a chance to see them and the camaraderie and, and the, the, the joking and all that's really cool. And getting a chance to meet fans and, and regular people who you know, saw us play, get a chance, they get a chance to see us and see that we're just regular people. No question about it. You do find out the regular people. They have a great time out there. They make sure all of us have a great time. Really enjoy this. We will continuously over the next two weeks be giving you uh, uh, opportunities to register. And again, you can register for the, um, the grudge match at at uh, it is www.celebritygrudgematch.com. You can get all the information and sign up there. And I get to see legends like Willie Galt. Willie, really appreciate right. you joining the show. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Once again, that was Willie Galt uh, and talking about the NFL grudge match next week on uh, Sunday. We will be giving away a twosome to get to play with me and another member of our show uh, at the grudge match on that Saturday. So definitely make sure you check that out next week. And um, Spencer, real quickly, getting back to the Raiders. Uh, we were talking about them. We don't have a lot of time left on the show. But, um, you know, again, this season, and I kind of brought that point up, I don't get, and I wanted your opinion, why do you think they are so, I mean, you're talking, it's like plus 17 or plus 1,800 for the Broncos, and the Raiders are at plus 4,000. Why is that? I think it's by proxy, to be completely honest with you. I think that because the other teams in the division are so good, it's like by default, well, the Raiders can't be. But the biggest issue, like above everything else, division outside of it, they have some glaring holes like in their team. The cornerback position is really, really weak. I think the linebacker position outside of Perryman, who came out of nowhere last year, who knows if he'll be able to repeat that performance, right? It's it's unknown. Like we, everyone would hope so, but we don't know, right? And the other part is, uh, you know, their offensive line. It's bad. There's, you know, the preseason can mask a lot of things. They looked fine in the preseason. Alex Edler would look terrible, and that's why they released him. But it's going to be a really big issue. Whether even though they have some of the best skill positions, he's going to have to ball, the, get the ball out quick. They're going to be in the bottom ten in the offensive line this year, if not the bottom five or three, or maybe the worst. That's why they're it's so low for them. 
Okay, I, and and I can understand that. I think you know people are are very interested in what the defensive secondary is going to look like and what the offensive line is going to look like when the regular season starts. I think in most other areas, Spencer, they are good. Interior line of the of the defensive side of the ball is solid. Outside is as good as it gets in the yeah, National Football yeah, League. Yeah. And in the middle on the run defense, Denzel Perryman established himself as one of the better middle linebackers in the game last year. And you've got two guys complimenting him in the outsides, as well as some depth at the linebacker position as well. The secondary is going to be a concern. Hobbs is going to have to have a great year, only a second year, and be one of the leaders back there. And Jonathan Abrams, this is a year he either steps up or steps out. And I know you don't like him. I think uh, we're going to see an improvement in him this season, but we'll find out about there is also they, they traded Trayvon Mullen, who was supposedly supposed to be, you know, the second guy to step up for them. He's traded now to the Arizona. Yeah, that was that was probably one of the more surprising moves also. And they, and they also need a full healthy season from Trayvon Mulrick. He only played five last year, played good in those five games. Don't get me wrong, but they need a, a full healthy season because I think he can be one of the best safeties in the league. I'm not going to disagree with you. All right. Well, real, real quickly and, uh, you know, moving on, I want to get I want to get into our fact this segment. The one thing I will say is, of course, the NFL kicks off its regular season. Um, Thursday, and that will be a great game. I'm looking real forward to Thursday night. I've got it crossed off on my schedule. I'm getting home early. The Bills playing the Rams, and a lot of people feel that might be this year's Super Bowl. I'm not sure about that, but I think that's a hell of a way to kick off the NFL season. Looking very forward to that. Go ahead and hit fact this, Spence. This. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. Yesterday, in a 2-1 to loss to Tampa Bay, the Yankees' Aaron Judge hit his 52nd home run of the season. This has him on pace to hit 63 home runs on the season, which should break the American League home run record set by former Yankee Roger Maris in 1961. If he breaks the record, does he go in the record book like Maris did? Or does he replace both Ruth and Maris in the baseball book of records permanently? Um, as you can see up on the screen, that is the way a lot of people think that Roger Maris has an asterisk next to his name. It's not an asterisk. What they did is they put in parentheses that it was a 162-game season, as you just saw up there. It wasn't an asterisk. Babe Ruth did it in nine less games, 153 games, and... Uh, Roger Maris did hit his 61st home run on the last game of the season. So that would have been, and he he hit a few home runs, but both him and Mickey Mantle hit a few home runs after the 153rd game of the season. So they didn't put an asterisk next to it, but they made sure in the record book to let everybody know that it was in a 162 game season. Spencer, I'm I'm pretty damn sure unless something happens to judge and he tweaks himself or hurts himself, he's going to get at least 10 more runs, which will put him at 162. Uh, They're saying he'll hit 11 more if and when he breaks this record and gets and it's an American League record you know they still have in the National League Bonds and McGuire and Sammy Sosa all have more home runs than Maris did and that's noted even though none of those guys are in the Hall of Fame for uh steroid reasons Spencer do they give him full credit or do they put the parentheses next to his name too I don't know but this is what I am hoping for this is Yankees fans chance to redeem themselves I mean, I don't know if you've seen the movie, but I've done a bit of research on this. When it comes to Roger Maris, when he did hit the record, when he broke the record for home runs, it was almost an empty crowd because there was such an allegiance to this old man, Babe Ruth. And I understand. Not only that, Spencer. It was embarrassing as a fan base to see someone break an incredible record. But because Babe Ruth owned it, it was some sort of like cardinal sin to break it. This 
if this should be the most full pack stadium of all time in, in Yankee Stadium when he breaks this record because that was the most abysmal record broken in sports history, I think. Spencer, it's a really good point, but it was more than just breaking Babe's record. If you remember, there was a battle up until about a week before that season yes. between Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris. Mm -hmm. Everybody, Mickey Mantle was the heir apparent. He was Mr. Yankee at that time. Roger Maris was an afterthought. He had a great season, but, you know, and Roger Maris was a solid baseball player. But the Yankees loved Mickey Mantle. There was a love affair with him. They wanted, if anybody was going to break Babe Ruth's record, they wanted it to be Mickey Mantle. When it was Roger Maris, it was a major letdown for the city. And you are right. They they almost boycotted the final game of the season because they had a feeling he was going to break it and they didn't want to see it happen. Really a crime. And Maris still, I mean, the, you know, he had depression issues the rest of his life because it was like they, they punished him almost and they were mad at him for breaking the record, which right. is just absolutely insane. But, hey, that's the New York fan base. Uh, you know, they want what they want. I do think they are wrapping their arms around Aaron Judge. It's been a long, long time since they've had a hero like this to break a record. Obviously, Derek Jeter, they had, they, they've got one of the greatest heroes of all time that just retired a few years back. But this is something that I think they feel that Aaron Judge is the guy to do this, and they would love to see it happen. And I'm just curious as to see the way they'll put it in the record book when it happens. I am guessing there's no way – you can put him in the record book differently than you put Roger Maris. If you're going to put those parentheses around the amount of games played, it's going to be a 162-game season again. So I think you have to do it again, or you've got to remove that next to Roger Maris and leave it alone. Now that he won't be number one anymore, get rid of it altogether. But um, I think they're going to leave the parentheses there. That was just my point. But I really wanted to clear it up. It is not an asterisk. It's been a myth for years and years. It's not an asterisk next to his name. It's just parentheses. Uh, showing the amount of games he played in. Listen, we're just about out of time. I really wanted one other thing I did want to talk about. The Las Vegas Aviators, they're on the road for their final game in arena tonight. They got six games um, um, six games in Sacramento before they return for their final 12-game homestand, which starts on September 13th. People, if you haven't been out to the Las Vegas ballpark, I harp on it all the time. Get your ass out there and watch one of these games. You are going to love the stadium. It's a great experience. They feed you well. It's a miniature Major League Baseball stadium. It's really cool. After the game, you can walk around downtown Summerlin. It is definitely an experience that you should check out if you haven't been out to the Las Vegas ballpark to see it. It's a great time, and eventually there will be a professional Major League Baseball team here. Uh, will it be the A's? Everyone seems to think so. I'm not 100% convinced because I continue to listen to Jim Gemma, the media relations director, one of my good friends and a guy that tells us uh, that they're not coming. So until he tells me they're coming, I'm going to believe him. But other than that, uh, Spence, next week the NFL season kicks off, uh, no pun intended, but how excited are you for the season to get underway this year? I don't know why. I am like chopping at the bit because to me, there are five or six teams that can compete for the Super Bowl. Not like just to me a head old odds on favorite. Cincinnati last year threw a monkey wrench into the mix and five or six teams can win the Super Bowl this year. No, it's NFL season. It is prime time. The, the, the nation is captivated for the next 17 to 20 weeks when it comes to the NFL. And I, I am definitely one of those. I am one of those. No, it's going to be exciting. Last thing I'll say is yesterday, uh, full first full day of college football Saturday. Really, really cool. And we're out of time, but how about that Ohio State-Notre Dame game? 21-10, Ohio State wins it. And uh, Marcus Freeman, man, played linebacker at Ohio State. 
and also started his coaching career there. It was pretty cool. They went back, they had a halftime lead, but Ohio State has now won 23 straight season open to Spencer. Only Nebraska and Florida um, have one more in the AP poll era. Listen, we're out of time. I'm Brian Feldman. I want to thank Willie Gelt, Spencer DeWiz Ostrowski, and Chris Magnum Chapman back in the studio. We'll be back next week. Same time, same place. Giving away a twosome. Make sure you stick around and you're here. Bye-bye.